Okay, so in this episode, I'm going to be talking about something called Project Serpo. Now, before I begin really delving into it, let me just say first off that throughout the many, the, the last many, many years, the CIA, along with other intelligence agencies, have consciously made an effort to utilize Hollywood as a means of sort of preparing our consciousnesses and our subconsciousnesses to what may eventually come. And some things may not come to be, but I feel as though that there's this attempt to prepare us for things that may in fact be made public at some point in in the future. Now, with that being said, you may wonder, why did I mention that? You'll see very shortly. So, Project Serpel was an absolutely top-secret, above-need-to-know classified program initiated in the 1950s following the events collectively known as the Roswell Incident. What it did was it saw the relocation of a human crew to an alien planet as part of an exchange program with the extraterrestrials populating it. Now, all crew members were allowed to roam freely, and they traveled wherever they pleased, and halfway through their stay, they decided to relocate to the northern part of the planet, where temperatures were cooler and allowed for the growth of ample amounts of vegetation. Now, the interplanetary human crew had experienced difficulties adopting to the hot and dry climate on Serpo determined by the increased levels of solar radiation. So the visitors built a small community for the team, This uh, claiming an anonymous whistleblower. And this is very interesting. The only major problem was time. Time was different on the visitor's planet. And it's interesting because, and I've speculated on this as well, there's a whole concept behind the fact that If aliens do in fact exist, which presumably is more than likely at this point, then it seems as though time would not be viewed the same way in which we as humans view it. And so these alien species called, uh, who they refer to as the visitors, did not have clocks. They didn't judge or account for time as we did. As a matter of fact, they found our attempts to account for time in fact very strange. And so, uh, despite dismissing the whole concept of watches and all that, these beings were supposedly extremely disciplined in their daily lives. Every single one of them worked on a schedule based on the movement of their central sun. And so, speaking of sun, by the way, supposedly, according to this whistleblower, it never actually got entirely dark on Serpo, which was the the name that they gave this planet, on account of the second star dimly illuminating the sky whenever the central one set. Now, these beings, which they refer to as the Ebens, were the only population present on Serpo, and they numbered at around 650-700,000, inhabiting many areas of the planet in relatively small communities. There was nothing like the metropolises that we have here on Earth. Um, Industry was, in fact, present, although not on on a large scale. And all of their food was artificially grown in large structures in the North. Now, 
although there were numerous animal species on Serpo, no meat was actually eaten, and the Ebens, which are the Ebens, which were which is the name of these alien beings, found the whole concept of eating meat extremely appalling. Now, they did use some of the larger fauna as beasts of burden, and it seems that intelligence warrants the subjugation of lesser living things, no matter the planet. So, when considering the bigger picture, this doesn't bode well for us as humans, right? But again, it all comes down to, to perception and what have you. Now, transportation was done with the help of floating vehicles that relied on a power source that was, and still probably is, unknown to humans, at least the core concept and understanding of it. But pollution was virtually non-existent, and so was crime. So while the Ebens did in fact have an army of sorts, um, no guns or any other weapons were ever seen by the human crew. Now, each small community held meetings to discuss and resolve their internal issues, but there was a central governing body that did handle all of the top-level decision-making. And so, on top of all this, money was in fact a very... Uh, it was essentially an unknown concept. And the same goes for capitalism or any other economic system based on differential levels of ownership. And no commercial activity occurred, and instead of shops, stores, and malls, there were actually distribution centers. So each and every one of the Ebens were issued what they needed, and everyone seemed pleased with the situation. So things like death, religion, establishing a family, and raising offspring were, were present, all by a, diff, a, a bit different from human practices. So the Ebens were not immortal, and they too actually worshipped a supreme being. But they also reportedly enjoyed playing team games and music was not unknown to them. And so, the according to this whistleblower, the Ebens did not actually evolve on Serpo. They had colonized the planet some 5,000 Earth years prior to the events described here after their initial home became threatened by intense volcanic activity. Now, having mastered spaceflight long before those cataclysmic events made them relocate, finding Serpo wasn't an impossible feat for them. It was quite realistic. Now, they were no strangers to conflict and warfare as well. The, the collective memory of the Ebens was married with memories of what they referred to as a great war fought against a hostile species from another planet. They had succeeded in eliminating the threat, but at a great cost, and the human crew speculated this was the reason why the total population numbered just 650 or, you know, roughly 650 to 700,000, and, and this is also what determined their aversion towards using weapons. Now, as a space-faring civilization, let's call them, the Ebens were well aware of the existence of other intelligent species in the far corners of our galaxy. And some were peaceful, some kept to themselves, but the ones that are hostile made the subject of a very stern warning. And so it's been said that the beings communicated to these, these visiting humans um, saying, and I quote, don't attract their attention to those guys. We have neither the resources nor the interest to intervene should they set their eyes on your world. So 
despite the fact that the official report is said to stretch along 3,000 pages, much of the knowledge imparted by the settlers of Serpo was lost in translation and due to the human crew's inability to comprehend certain concepts. Now, although scientists and linguistics were chosen for the mission, or linguists rather, sorry, they found it impossible to figure out parts of the Eben culture and most of their technology, and they also were not allowed to bring anything back, despite it being the express will of their superiors. Now, nothing is known about the, the defectors. For all we know, they could be alive and well, right? But attempts to contact the Ebens continued until about 1988, but the only reply that was received was silence. And so the men and women who returned had been exposed to high levels of radiation for extended periods of time, and they suffered radiation-related illnesses as a result. Now, the last surviving member of the Serpo Exchange Program died in a VA hospital in 2002. So, again, post-2002, which is basically 20 years ago, 18 years to be exact, there's no way of validating this unless we get our hands on some type of official report, if you will. Now, according to this anonymous source, and there have been many, in the early 1950s, the government initiated Project Serpo, which was intended to open communication channels between mankind and a race of extraterrestrials from Serpo, which was also a planet located in the Zeta Reticuli star system. Now, what I do want to know is that the more research and the more topics I look into regarding that of inhabitable planets and species that are outside of our, our sort of our solar system or even our realm of understanding, if you want to put it extremely, there seems to be a constant reoccurring theme, which is that the Zeta Reticuli star system, which we are well aware of and have given it the name Zeta Reticuli, seems to inhabit multiple alien species and planets, if, if, if you like to call it. And so it's, it's very interesting because people like David Icke and, and Bob Lazar and these types of, of, of gentlemen who have not only been proven right more and more as time goes on, but have literally been spot on with many, many things, not just coincidentally, but spot on with a lot of things, have mentioned that the crafts and the UFOs have come from the Zeta Reticuli star system. Now, Zeta Reticuli is a binary star system in the southern constellation of Reticulum. Now, although both stars are similar in size to our own sun, spectral analysis shows they're much younger at around 2 billion years of age. So, whether this interval is enough for a highly intelligent spacefaring species to develop is really not up to us to decide. We don't even know at this point, right? Furthermore, the aliens inhabiting Serpido origin or Serpo originated elsewhere within the galaxy, as I mentioned earlier. So, the incident that led to this interplanetary connection was none other than the Roswell crash or multiple crashes, because there were two of them, one on the southwest of Corona, New Mexico, and the other near Polona Peak, which is a rock's throw, which is very close to um, uh, Datil. Now, the crash involved two extraterrestrial aircraft. The Corona site was found a day later by an archaeology team. A deputy arrived the next day and summoned a police officer. 
one live EBE, extraterrestrial biological entity, was found hiding behind a rock. And the entity was given water but declined food. The entity was later transferred to Los Alamos, this anonymous source wrote. And again, same thing with the Zeta Reticuli thing. Bob Lazar, David Icke, George Knapp. There seems to be something that had gone on, maybe still going on, within Los Alamos, a branch of Area 51. And so it's interesting to note that the entity accepted water which seems to suggest that it might have actually shared a biology similar to our own and also cements the idea that life on Earth might have originated elsewhere in the universe. And the EBE's refusal to ingest food might have had cultural bases rather than physiological ones, or maybe it, it simply didn't accept that type of food, or maybe they don't accept food. Who knows? So... Eventually, the Roswell Army Airfield was notified, and uh, they were notified of the crash, and they promptly intervened. But after a thorough examination of the corona site, all evidence was loaded onto a flatbed and trucks and carried away to an undisclosed location. The most interesting part is that a total of six extraterrestrial bodies were recovered and transported to the Los Alamos National Laboratory because the facility had a then-recently-developed cooling system that allowed scientists to preserve the bodies for subsequent research. Now, the live alien was kept under strict surveillance at the same facility. So picture this. You're being held captive by a decidedly inferior species. You're the sole individual of your kind on an alien planet, and the governing powers house you under the same roof as your fallen and frozen brethren. I mean, that, that's really... It's adding insult to injury, but again, leave it up to the U.S. government to, to do things this way. So, in the meantime, the live EBE had already established a means of communication with the scientists and top brass, and we can assume they were very eager to know what he had to say. And according to this anonymous source, this species also had a male and female gender division. The alien revealed the name of his homeworld, which was called Eben, and its location was, like the title says, in the Zeta Reticula star system, right? Now, he also informed scientists about the various instruments and ultra-advanced technology on board the two downed spacecraft, and... I'm sure you could imagine or envision the power and demonstration, hungry military officials pressuring the translators to squeeze more out of, the, of this alien, right? So, here's the thing. If, if we weren't so understanding, we probably could blame him for all the triangle-shaped UFOs zipping silently above our heads, right? At least part of those must be man-made and operated, all by using technology that has been reverse-engineered from these early UFO crashes. But, like, do you honestly believe that these aliens are responsible for all the UFO sightings? No way, right? I'm sure the U.S. government's behind that a little bit as well. Or at least, particularly in the year 2020, probably a good chunk of it. Now... Before he died, the EBE managed to set up one of the communication devices present aboard one of their vehicles and contact his homeworld. And 
the humans who oversaw this were just apparently, according to this anonymous source, taken aback. And so the Ebens agreed to come visit. The date was set for April 1964, and showing that punctuality is a must-have trait of advanced civilizations, right? They touched ground somewhere near Alamogordo, Alamogordo, New Mexico, and they unceremoniously retrieved the bodies of their kin and, and engaged in information exchange with earthlings via a translation device. Now, English was the chosen language because they were the visitors, and courtesy knows no planetary boundaries. And literally, that's a, that last part's actually a quote from this anonymous source. And again, for the betterment of mankind, the Ebens agreed to set up an exchange program. And so 12 members were carefully selected for the mission, eight USAF, two US Army, and two US Navy. Two of them were doctors, three were scientists, and two were linguists. Two of them handled security, two were pilots, and the last two was the leader in Air Force, or sorry, the last one was a leader, which was an Air Force colonel. Now, all of them were given alternate identities, and they were effectively erased from all military and civilian records. It was as if they never existed in the first place, and that made them ideal candidates for a mission from which they might never return. So, the 12 gentlemen here went through six months of rigorous training and were given the order to maintain contact with Earth via the already established communication links. As per their agreement, the aliens returned in 1965 and left one of their own behind shortly before, um, shortly before leaving. Their mission was supposed to last 10 years during which regular communication had to be maintained, but the best laid plans of of mice, men, and aliens often go astray. The team's transmissions to Earth HQ were sporadic at best and didn't always include the greatest of news. Three years into their stay, one doctor and one of the security personnel died. And so pneumonia and injury sustained from a fall is what actually occurred. Now, five years after they left, communication was essentially halted completely. And the U.S. government was in the dark regarding Project Serpo, of which they had very high expectations. But then, in 1978, three years after the agreed-upon return date, the Ebens came back and dropped off seven men and one woman. Two were dead and two had decided to remain behind, which is what I had mentioned earlier. So they were placed in quarantine for a whole year, during which they had plenty of time to debrief their superiors. As a matter of fact, the account that they brought back is said to have numbered around 3,000 pages. So, the planet, according to the crew members, um, was a, had a diameter of 7,200 miles and was slightly smaller than Earth. It had two moons... The day was 43 Earth hours long, and it revolved around its star in 865 Earth days. And so the Eben solar system numbered six planets total. And the Ebens had established bases on the one that was nearest to Serpo, nicknamed Otto. But it was also a, a lifeless world. Now, according to the crew members, the cosmic journey to Eben only lasted nine months despite the distance of 39 light years that separated us from them, which is extremely interesting. So it just goes to show that maybe these extraterrestrial beings have not in fact mastered space, space travel in the sense of warp speed. 
but have something among this craft in which moves at such a quick pace but does not affect the people on board their craft. And so it, it's, it's, very, it's quite interesting. It's quite compelling. And ultimately, what, what this comes down to is how much of it you're willing to believe. And so it seems as though that the different life out there seems to be going for the same thing generally. It seems as though that currency and time are a bit of a strange concept to them as, as opposed to us. I mean, I guess I, I like this because it would be cool, but I would really like for there to be some type of planet with a civilization in which you could kind of see very modern cities and things like that. But it seems as though so far certain planets it, were more colonized rather or tribal than that of the the traditional sense of, of much larger metropolitan cities and what have you. Uh, it was also said by the, I guess, astronauts or the, the, the humans that visited the Ebens that it took them quite a while to adjust to the heat there, but it wasn't something that would have stopped them from living there entirely. And it's interesting because it's very possible that maybe not to this day, but as of recently, in the last 20, 30 years, the two humans that decided to stay there and remain may have, in fact, lived a, a well, a, a long life and things like that and wanted to stay for the simple fact of maybe they liked it better there. There was more to discover there. They wanted to, to follow their, their passion there. And so, at the end of the day, it's, uh, it, it's very interesting. I'm a little bit hesitant when I think about this because it, it's... Just the thought of it overwhelms me, to tell you the truth. And I'm not someone who gets overwhelmed so easily, particularly because of my, my, my view on a lot of these things. But it just as, I'm, as I drift through my notes, I'm kind of thinking, like, wow, this is quite the, uh, the civilized form of communication. And I guess this might be something that is a, could potentially be a sort of universal conduct with that of other beings, which would certainly be the best way to go in, in my personal opinion. So, the question then becomes is, you know, is, is, is humanity ready to know the truth, right? And ultimately, yes, there's been these reports from anonymous sources. There's also been something called the Reagan briefing transcript, where Ronald Reagan was briefed by the then CIA director, William Casey, and it was a top-secret meeting that Casey provided Reagan information about the exchange program. And Reagan had quite a few questions that he was told would be answered later in an additional briefing session. And it's interesting because a very small fragment of this particular Reagan briefing transcript had actually been leaked. But ultimately, it, it, it can't be found anywhere, which, again makes perfect sense considering this was the, the very early 80s and that things were still done by paper and they were probably shredded up afterwards and, and all that. I really do think that things like top secret experiments or projects or things of the sort are, are not even recorded in, in a database, if you will, uh, in many cases because of how leak-prone things could potentially be. Now, aside from that... I do have to say that it comes down to what the eye of the beholder, so to speak, thinks. So 
Let me know what you guys think because I certainly think it's something that is worth looking into. And it's certainly something that I think, even if not true, would certainly prove to be very interesting and thought-provoking at, at worst. So uh, that's all for today's episode and hope to catch you guys next time. Peace.